everyone. Mike Vogel here for WashingtonCaps.com. Welcome to our latest edition of Break the Ice, joined by Caps head coach Peter Laviolette for this episode. And, um, Peter, I know you were uh, born and raised in Franklin, Massachusetts, and I was in that same part of the country at that same time. Uh, my dad was in the Navy, and I feel like um, – Maybe your career got a boost from a guy named Bobby Orr who um, kind of took the area by storm in those days, similar to what Alex Ovechkin has done here in the, in the last 15 years or so where you know, he's sort of gotten kids interested in the game, and I know that that was my jumping on point to the NHL, um, seeing Bobby Orr in the Boston Bruins of, of that era. But um, he revolutionized, obviously, the way the game was played, at that time, and looking at your playing career, you seem to be an offensive defenseman, and that sort of thing didn't exist until Bobby Orr came along. So just wondering if that was kind of how you grew into the game. So um, you're right, growing up in Massachusetts um, back then when you know there wasn't computers and there wasn't a lot of TV stations and there wasn't a lot of options, you were either outside playing or you were – you know, inside um, trying to find some sports to watch on the TV. And so the Bruins were really big for a kid playing hockey in New England. And back then they had a great team and it was um, a lot of great players from Phil Esposito and Johnny Busick and Wayne Cashman and certainly Bobby Orr. Um, I think, you know, watching that team gave made everybody love the game. And so you know, I didn't grow up as a defenseman. I grew up um, as a left winger and... It wasn't until high school where I started playing both left wing and defense. But um, there's no question that when you were out in the, the the street and, you know, streets weren't like they are now, you could drop nets and maybe not have to move those nets for, you know, an hour. Yeah. And um, you're playing street hockey. And when you were rushing in on a breakaway, you know, it didn't matter what position you play, whether it was left wing or center, it didn't matter. You were rushing in saying Bobby Orr to win the game, game seven and overtime and, um, you know, that's what every kid wanted to do and be like the Bruins, be like Bobby Orr and the, the great team that they were. So, I mean, I grew up in hockey. <clears throat> My dad got me involved at a really young age. He owned a, a grocery store in, in Franklin, Massachusetts. Um, and behind it was a pond. It was probably like twice the size of a rink, maybe not, maybe not twice as long, but maybe one and a half in length and one and a half in mm-hmm. width. And um, it was great going out there playing pond hockey. And I think that's really where you learn, you know, some skills. You just, all you're doing is stick handling in games, you know, two-on-two and three-on-three games with your buddies on a pond, and you stay out there for all day. And um, I think that's really where, you you know, you can create a lot of skill. But it was a lot of fun. Uh, I don't know if there's anything better than pond hockey. So, um, you know, it was a lot of fun for us as kids to do that. Yeah, it sounds just like my uh, my years there in, in Massachusetts. My guy was Derek Sanderson. But, yeah. Uh, Yep, same. Dad, dad froze the backyard, and we played in the street when when we couldn't. Even, you know, middle of summer, we'd be we'd switch back and forth between baseball and, and street hockey. Yeah, but. the um, my my grandfather lived next door. He's the one who started the grocery store, and eventually, my dad and my uncle owned it. But you know, we would be out there. Um, it could be freezing out and we'd yeah. run up and get some hot chocolate and go back down and put the skates back on and stay out there for another five hours. And eventually my grandfather would want to go to bed and there was, he put up a, at one point he had put up a light pole with a light on it and, um, it, it was enough to light it up at night where you could go out and play until, you know, way past sunset. And so, um, you know, if it was a Saturday night and it was 10 o'clock, 
he would give a flicker of the light at, at like <laughs> 9.45, one flicker, and then he would give two flickers at like 9.55, and then the lights would be out at 10 o'clock. And if you, were down the, if you were down the embankment and on the ice and you hadn't like thought your exit strategy, you'd be trying to get out of there in the dark. So, um, But it was, a, it was a lot of fun, a lot of great memories. Last call. Um, Westfield State College, um, you played a couple of years there, and you, you embarked upon a, a pro career. But, you know, I guess kids don't grow up thinking, yeah, I'm going to grow up and be an NHL coach or a hockey coach someday. It, 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 I think for most guys, it's I want to stay close to the game that I love when, when my playing career is over. Just wondering how, at what point during your playing career did you think that coaching might be something that would interest you later on, and were there any mentors or coaches that steered you in that direction so my whole you know when I went to Westfield State College I I was um our high school team was good Franklin High School I think my senior year we played in the finals for the state championship in Massachusetts um but at that time you know I was just looking to go and play hockey it's not like I had a division one scholarship or you know everybody was knocking down my door to get me to go play for them and a free ride here it wasn't like that and so I really wanted to go someplace where I could just continue to play hockey and um, get an education. That was first and foremost. So I ended up choosing Westfield State College. And my first coach was Chuck Machonsky there, and he gave me a lot of confidence. Um, um, just as he named me a captain as a sophomore year and when I was in college and just gave me a lot of opportunity. And, and with that, that's I think my hockey career really started to take off. I think I learned a lot in high school from my high school coach, Bobby Lucini, who um, is probably one of the winningest coaches in you know Massachusetts hockey, from high school hockey, and he's now a scout with the Carolina Hurricanes. And I think you pull pieces from everybody and what, the, what you're able to get from that. Um, but going into Westfield, there wasn't a, there was no master plan to play pro hockey. There was no master plan to be a coach in the NHL someday. It wasn't even what I was thinking. I was there for a business degree and, and I was looking to get my college education. And so when it, when it ended, um, I, I had my resume out in the real world. I didn't think that I would be, you know, playing any more hockey. I thought it was over men's league, you know, men's league, beer league and that sort of thing. And, um, while I was waiting to, to go to work in the real world, I had gotten a call from a guy named Smokey Cerrone who had um, stumbled into a game uh, Westfield State was playing and um, just introduced himself and told me he was trying to get me a tryout and um, with the Minnesota North Stars. He wanted me to play on his summer league team in Hingham, Massachusetts. And uh, so it just unfolded from there. I mean, things really took off in college as far as playing for me. And um, I was able to have a real good college career. And then when it was when it was time to move on, it was somebody giving me an opportunity to try out for a team. And so from that point, I ended up getting a tryout. But, you know, at that point, you're talking about Westfield State College. I wasn't thinking about a pro career. And I was able to play 11 years in the minors and a few games in the NHL and a couple of Olympic teams. So um, from where it was... I'm, I was pretty fortunate to get that far, and you're still not thinking about coaching. And so here I am. I'm going to be 57 years old this year, and I can't believe how fortunate and lucky I am to still be in the game because it was never a plan. It was not something that, you know, I sat back and said, well, this is the path I'm going to take. And it's just unfolded in front of me, and I've been, like I said, I've been fortunate and I've enjoyed every minute of it. When was the last time you drew a paycheck outside the game? 
I haven't. Um, I think the, you know, maybe the last time I drew a paycheck was when I worked with my dad in the summers when I was mm. first starting out playing minor league hockey and there wasn't a lot of, there wasn't a lot of money. And so when I came home in the summer, I would work with my dad. Um, at that point he had moved on to opening his own garage door company. He was doing it on the side when he owned the grocery store and, um, you know, I would hang doors in the summer with him and that was probably the, the last wow. paycheck that I took outside of hockey. Um, but it's, that's what, that's what I'm saying. You know, when you're, when you're graduating Westfield state and you think you're going into the real world and it's going to be business and you're not sure where that's going to take you. Um, it's just completely unfolded in a different direction. Well, you mentioned one of the places it took you was the U S national team and the Olympics. How did that come about and what was that experience like for you? Um, you know, it was, it was, um, again, uh, I, I was playing for the summer league team and that was when the, the, they were looking, it wasn't pros playing, uh, for the Olympics. Yeah. And so I had played one year in Indianapolis, which was two levels down from the NHL at that point. I had just signed a three-year contract with the New York Rangers. And, um, again, it was Smokey Cerrone in his summer league and I was playing for him and, um, you know, I had gotten word that the Olympic team, they were still looking to add a couple players. They had had their selection camps across the country. There was four camps, and they brought 35 people or so to Lake Placid, New York. And um, I remember they were coming in, you know, on a Thursday night down in Hingham just to watch a game, just to get an evaluation on whether or not they were thinking about adding me to that team. And so they came down, I think, one Thursday, and then they came down the following Thursday, and then they invited me after the game to join that group in Lake Placid. And that that for me was was really something because now I'm I'm playing with guys like Tony Granado and Mike Richter and Craig Janney and Brian Leach, Kevin Stevens, just an incredible group of hockey players and um, just trying to catch that train was was pretty tough. But you know, eventually you, you you get there and you you start mixing in with those guys and it was just a great experience. What was it like for an American kid to just to be in Lake Placid so soon after the the miracle on ice? In 1982, because I, I got up there for the first time probably decades later, and it, it just sent chills just to walk through the, the village there and walk into that arena. I've been there a few times, and um, every time I think you go there, you you realize how special that town is, how special the rink is because of what went on there. And so um, it was a an, an unbelievable experience to be there as part of the Olympic team and trying to follow up what had happened in 1980. And... Um, you know, when we went there, we would stay there for a while, so we would really get to see the town and see the see the um, the restaurants and the community, and then you you get to work at the rink every day and skate, and that was an unbelievable feeling. I've been back several times since. I've even taken NHL teams yeah. there and had training camp there, and you know, maybe we play one exhibition game there, or um, we start camp there, and it was just. Um, it was a great experience then as a player and even bringing their uh, teams there as a coach. It was real. It's just a, the, the town is real nice. The The rink is special and it's got certainly great memories for, you know, a kid from Franklin, Massachusetts. And you transitioned from a playing career to getting a job with the Wheeling Nailers as a head coach yeah. at the ECHL level. And after a year there, you, you win a Calder Cup in, in Providence. What do you remember about those two seasons, the, the, the start and then to – the next season you're you're at the pinnacle for for that level yeah you know it was the i it was the same thing i i i'm thinking at this point that i'm finally going to give my business degree a a, <laughs> a test drive and my career i i think i could have played a few more years but 
you know, how long can you play minor league hockey? And I was 29 years old and just not sure what I wanted to do. And so, again, I, I started thinking about things that I might do after hockey and not really coaching at that point. And um, Bobby Francis was the head coach um, for two years in Providence. And my first year, I was one of the captains on the team. And um, the, the second year, going into the second year, that summer, he asked me if I would entertain the idea of being player assistant coach. And I'm like, yeah, I don't even know what that means, really. Like, what, 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 what are you telling me? Like, what is, what is that? And he said, well, he said, do you have a passion for coaching? And I said, I have no idea. I said, I, you know, I haven't thought about it. I love coming to the rink. I love winning. I love being part of the team. I love the game of hockey. Um, he said, well, why don't you try it? And so I ended up, the first part of the year, we had a lot of injuries and a lot of guys up in Boston. And um, I ended up playing an awful lot. And it was right around Thanksgiving or just before Christmas where I broke a bone, the outside bone in my leg. I put a fracture in it and I had to take some time off. And we got a ton of guys back from Providence, uh, from Boston back to Providence. And it was at that point where I spent most of my time in the coaching office. And that's when I said, you know, I really like this. I like I like everything about this. Yeah. And um, it was it was a great year for me to learn and great to be with Bobby Francis. And it was like my introduction into coaching and it was my foot in the door. Um, when that season ended, Bobby Francis had went up to Boston to be the assistant coach up there and, it, and the head coaching job in Providence was open. And I, I wanted to interview for it. I really wanted the job. I'm from that area, obviously Massachusetts and, you know, I'm halfway between Boston and Providence. Yeah. And so it was an easy commute and my family was there. And so it would have been a great opportunity, but I was really inexperienced. And so I didn't get an opportunity, um, you know, to, to interview for that head coaching job. And I remember that, um, you know, verbally they had said, you know, that they had offered me the um, assistant coaching position in Providence. And uh, I went home and talked to my wife and we, you know, we, we were just married. She was pregnant. We had a dog and we had no money from playing minor league hockey for yeah. 10 years. And she said, uh, I said, I, I want to be a head coach. And so I turned down the job without having anything else in my hand. And uh, we started putting our resume out in the East Coast Hockey League. And so my first place that I put it into, and I had some help from Pat Kelly. Um, he ended up helping me just get connect with some people. And I put my um, I put my resume into Wheeling, West Virginia, and ended up getting an interview there. And from the interview, I ended up getting a job. It was a fantastic experience. I was the head coach. I was the guy in charge of making trades. Yeah. I had to book the hotels and I had to get the travel and sign the players and just an unbelievable experience for somebody with not a lot of experience. And, um, Wheeling was fantastic. The, the, um, the city of Wheeling and the outside of it was beautiful. Downtown had this old feel to it. And, um, ownership was new for the very first year. There was a bunch of local businessmen that didn't want to see the team leave the town and they ended up interviewing me and we kind of took it on all as rookies that one year and it went really well. And then then the next year you're you you do yeah. get the job in in Providence and yeah. and you guys win the Calder Cup. Yeah, so the year I I thought I'd be in Wheeling for a few years just to get, you know, more experience and um, you know, we went from a team that didn't have any affiliates and we only had two contracted players and we built something and eventually it got to a point where we felt like we could make a playoff run and we lost in overtime, um, I think in game seven in the semifinals to Hampton Roads and they went on and won the whole thing. So it was uh, from where we were and where we got to, it was really a, a great year, a successful year for Wheeling. And um, 
Meanwhile, the, the job in Providence had opened up again. And so this time now with, you know, a year as an assistant coach with a year as a head coach in the East Coast Hockey League now interviewed for Providence. And, um, you know, we, we had, um, a great team for two years. The first year we were able to win a lot of games. I think, I think at that time it was the most wins um, by an American Hockey League team, including the playoffs. I think we were like seven, 56 or something. 56, and then the playoff wins, it was like 71 wins out of 99. And uh, we ended up winning the championship in Providence. And um, and then the next year was a good year as well. We lost, uh, we lost in the semifinals to um, Hartford, who went on and won it. So it was a great experience, and... You know, I look back at those opportunities that I got in, in the East Coast Hockey League and the American Hockey League, and it really was a platform for me to learn a lot and get educated as a coach and develop as a coach. The East Coast Hockey League is a great developmental league, not just for players, but for referees, general managers, coaches, radio guys. It doesn't matter. It's a great league, and from there you can, you know, you can make your way up the ladder. And there's a lot of difference between, you alluded to it, that the way an ECHL team is operated versus the way an AHL team is operated too. Um, the two years at Providence gets you an assistant coaching job at the NHL level under Pat Burns initially. And then I think Pat got let go real early in that season and you wind up with working under Mike Keenan. But my God, I mean, those are two real heavyweights you, you, you talked about Bobby Francis earlier. That's an Adams winner. These two guys are, I'm pretty sure, both won the Adams as well. Um, what was that experience like? Because that leads into, you know, ultimately where you are now. Yeah. The, you know, the year um, in Boston as an assistant was, was different. It was back to being an assistant coach. And I really felt um, I, I wouldn't have mind staying in Providence for another year or two years, but you know, just looking at what it was going to take for me to be a head coach in the National Hockey League, um, I didn't have a lot of experience. I didn't play there. I didn't coach there. And so I needed to learn and become part of that um, that regiment of the National Hockey League, flying the cities, working with NHL players, the practice schedule, um, how everything works up there. And so I ended up um, establishing a really good job, uh, re- really good relationship with Pat Burns. He was the head coach for the two years when I was a a head coach in Providence. He was the head coach of Boston. And, you know, by the going into that second year, we had a really good relationship and, um, he asked me to join his staff and, um, just a great coach. And, um, I had the opportunity to work and learn from him and, um, and ended up not lasting long. Like you said, he, he got relieved as, as all coaches do. Um, he got relieved and, and Mike Keenan came in and, um, you know, got the opportunity to work for another, another coach that has won at at every level and, and been successful. And I think when you're coaching, you're constantly learning, um, from the people around you. And so that year, I think also, uh, you know, from, from Bobby Francis as player assistant coach to the East Coast Hockey League, the American Hockey League to a year in the assistant, assistant coach in Boston, all of it, you're just trying to uh, become a better coach and trying to make your way and, and climb the ladder and, and get to where I wanted to be, which was a head coach in the National Hockey League. And the very next year, you, you took that step with the New York Islanders, and that's 20 years ago right now, you're getting ready for training camp, that first training camp with the Islanders. 9-11, all that stuff. What was that experience like to be so close to that when that was happening and, you know, trying to get get this, you know, your your coaching career at this level off the ground and, and you know, having to deal with all of that that yeah. was going on in the world around you there? It, it was um, 
it was something that I've never, you know, first of all, I'm a rookie coach. I'm having this, this happened. Um, nine 11 was the first day of training camp for yeah. me. Here's and so you're talking about, you know, the very first day of us opening camp, but for a rookie coach, Mike Milbury hired me. He was a general manager and, um, you know, you're thinking about like everything that you got to do and, and, and with regard to hockey and what you think is the biggest thing going on. And it's, and in the end, you kind of look at the end of that day and what had happened and it was just devastating. And so I remember Mike, you know, what I remember is that we were, we were out on the ice a little bit early and I remember Mike coming out and saying, um, sorry, the, the first one had gotten hit, but you know, you didn't know the extent yeah. of it. And then we were heading out to practice and nobody actually knew what it was, whether it was just a plane that lost its way or whatever it was. And then I remember right before practice was going to start, Mike um, came out to the bench and he said a second plane um, just hit the tower and they, they feel like they, they think it's terrorists and where do you want to go from here? What do you want to do? And we were, you know, we were there practicing in Lake Placid and there, I, at that point, we still didn't know the extent of what was going on, and so we continued on with the day. And um, it wasn't until later that night, like I, I had three sessions going, and so there was that. That in those days, camps were a little bit bigger in yeah. size, and so you, sometimes you had to have three sessions. And when I finally got back to the hotel room at like six thirty, this was the first chance that I had gotten to see the devastation that happened through the day, and it blew my mind. I remember sitting in my hotel room in a chair, just crying. I was just watching what the scenes that were coming on the TV, and my wife was back in Long Island, and um, you know we had a young family. She was, I think, she was pregnant, and we had two boys, and so she's dealing with that from Long Island, and you know, unable to communicate, and it was just, it was scary. It was just a one of the one of the saddest days for me in hockey. You know, it was supposed to be a, a day where you think about your first day in camp, and instead, it turns out to be one of the saddest days. Yeah, it was rough. I think for everyone. Um, you a uh, couple of years there on on uh, Long Island, and you know, I did some research probably eight or ten years ago. I think people have the the sense that coaches just get recycled, and and you know, guys coach for four or five years or. or four or five years for four or five different teams, and, and that's the career. But I actually – I went back and looked at every single guy who's ever coached even one game in the NHL, and the reality is that two-thirds of all coaches at this level only get the one chance, yeah. and that's it. So there there are a lot of guys who do, but it's only one-third of, yeah. of the guys who, who get recycled and, yeah. and go <laughs> through, a, you know, and get churned through a few different cities. So, I mean, when when – those two seasons that on Long Island were up. I mean, the odds say that's it. Yeah. But you land on your feet again. Uh, you you get hired in Carolina oh three oh four midseason, and coming out of the lockout. I mean, I thought that team, that Carolina team, was built for the change in the game. And I still remember you guys that year, the first preseason game. Caps flew down there to play, and, and we were actually late, very late because uh, the plane had been used to take supplies to Hurricane Katrina, to New mm-hmm. Orleans. And so I think we landed in Raleigh around 6 o'clock for a, a 7 o'clock game, had to get a police escort to the game. And while we were walking into the rink, you guys were getting ready to go on the ice for warm-ups, and the refs were telling you about the obstruction stuff and how things were going to be called. 
I think Carolina scored five goals in the first period, probably four of them on the power play. That was a wild year as far as special teams went, but I thought speed-wise and special teams-wise, you guys were constructed for success that year, and you, and you wind up winning the Cup. Yeah, it was, it was um, you know, that, uh, going back, you're right about coaching. Like, um, I, remember, I remember after the Islanders were over, I was sitting um, – down in Florida because we had moved to Florida for the off season. We were tired of changing our license and changing our address. So we were going to make Florida our home. And, um, I remember sitting there with my wife and I'm, you know, we, we made the playoffs both years. They hadn't made the playoffs in seven years. And the first year was, was easier and, and better. We had a great seven game series in the first round and first round loss to Toronto it was a spectacular series. One of the that best that I've series. ever been in. And the second year was tougher. You know, we made the playoffs, but it was tougher and um, ended up getting let go at the end of two years. And I was down on the floor, and I looked at my wife, and I said, did, did we do enough? Like, is, will anybody even call? You know, because you just don't know. There's so many good coaches out there, and there's so little opportunity. And um, I was fortunate that Jim Rutherford picked up the phone, and um, I ended up talking with him, meeting with him, and uh, became the head coach of the Carolina Hurricanes. And it was um, – you know, I think you learn a lot. Uh, you still are constantly learning about the game and about people and, and how you can be better and different things you can do. And um, one of the things after leaving Long Island, one of the things I told my wife was I want to make sure that we build the team better, that we're, we're more connected, that we, we bring in, uh, we make everybody feel like they're a part of it, make this thing seem like it's really big to everybody not just the players but to the staff to the wives to the kids um to the owners to the the managers and just try to build something that maybe could be harder to stop and so that and we you know we had worked on our game just trying to play a faster game an offensive game and um things just really came together they started to come together if you remember it was um i got hired halfway through the year we ended up not making the playoffs and in the last 20 games, we won 12-4-4. And, and people will say, well, you were out of the playoffs, so nobody took you serious. But there was there was a style and a way that I really liked the way we were playing. I'm a pretty honest coach, and if I think if I see things that on the ice that I like, regardless of the score, I'll say it. I'll say we were lousy, or I'll say, listen, I don't think the score reflects yeah. how we were. I liked how we played in those games. And so there was a whole year off from the lockout. But when we came back, um, it seemed like we picked right up on that game. Maybe it was the Capitals being late that gave us all the confidence in the world where we scored five goals in the first period. <laughs> it kind of well, set the tone. The a very good team in those But I'm just saying, <laughs> you know, and so anyway, it, we left that with confidence. We came back. We added some really good pieces. Guys like Corey Stillman, um, Ray Whitney, guys that yeah. were pushed off in different areas from other teams. We thought they were great players. And they came in and they helped the nucleus of our team, the young team that we had, Eric Stahl and Cam Ward and Eric Cole, Rod Brindamore, Justin Williams. And there were some really good pieces. And then when you added a couple more of those pieces, and they were offensive pieces as well, you say, okay, you, you start to go through training camp and build confidence. You go through the season and you build confidence. And we ended up finishing, I think, fifth in the league and second in the division, by a, just second by a point. We had a really good year. But there was a lot of confidence with the way we were playing going into the playoffs. And I always say it, when you get to the playoffs, it's about things lining up the right way. You know, you have to stay healthy. You have to get good goaltending. Your specialty teams have to be good. You need a call from the referee. You need to win the yeah. overtime games. There's things that have to happen to win a round, to win the next round, and to go on and become Stanley Cup champions. And if those things don't line up or they don't happen, 
it makes it much more difficult. And for that year, for that team, it just came together and um, a really, really special year. Seven games in the conference finals, seven games in the yeah. in the cup final too. It was uh, it was it was something to see. The other thing about that team that stands out to me is that over the last thirty years, that's one of only two or three teams that didn't have that clear cut stud number one defenseman. Had a good, good, solid bunch of two, three type guys. Um, Glenn Wesley and you know some other guys like that, but um, kind of kind of a nice feather in your cap. I yeah, think, well, too. they were you know so the team the team was it was it was built with the forwards I think being a little bit more offensive. The defensemen were built as a group of six slash seven, and so there were some really good players in there like Brett Hedekin, who was a real yeah, good two way defenseman. Um, um, Frank Caberly, um he had a really good year offensively. He had 45 points, and Mike Commodore had a great year. Aaron Ward had a great year, and so Nick Wallin was a really hard guy to play against, really steady defender. And so um, I think just putting those p- players into a style and into a system allowed them to have you know, maybe some of their best years offensively, and so it kind of fit the mold on what we were trying to do that year. And so, um, But they were great defenders as well, and I think that's always important when you get into the playoffs. It's not just about offense and scoring goals. You have to be able to defend. All of those guys were big and strong, and they could defend. The Philadelphia team that you took to the final in, in 2010, and that was your first year there, and that was, I think, maybe the last 50-some games that year um, that – that you were uh, behind the bench there. And that team, I don't think they had anybody over 65 points, but had 10 or 11, 12 guys with double-digit goal totals and obviously f- famously got to the to this uh, yeah. cup final as an eighth-place team that snuck into the playoffs on a, yeah. on a shootout on the last day of the season. And, you know, I mean, some goaltending uh, patchwork to, yeah. to get there. Anyway, that, that – Despite falling short there in six games against Chicago, you had to be pretty proud of that group. Yeah, too. I mean it was a it was a different year. All all years are different sure. years, and you never you know somebody said, "What does it take to get to the end and win a cup?" And it's like, there's no there's no recipe for this. And so, you know, that year I I came in I think somewhere in in mid December mm-hmm. I I came in and I think we were in twenty second place, um, going back to the. Maybe the Capitals. The first game might have been against the Capitals, and I think they scored. I think they scored five power play goals and nine goals, and we lost like nine to four. Yeah. And so um, it was a it was a tough start, and it was a tough start not only in that one game, but in the first maybe three weeks, just in the change of everything that was going on. And um, right around Christmas time, I think I went home and told my wife, I said, I single-handedly took this team from 22nd place to 30th place in two weeks. <laughs> and so, but we were, you know, we were trying to put it in order. And so the the climb back up to the game that you're talking about, the, the last game of the year against the Rangers, it went to a shootout, was in, incredibly stressful. And so every time we won three games, we would maybe go from, you know, 13th place in the in the in the conference up to 12th place but you then you lose one game and you were back down to 14th place and it was this nasty up and down that uh, 
had it must have had some sort of a elevating rise to it. It must have been more wins than losses. But when you're in the grind of it and you lose one and you see yourself drop back down, you're like, oh, we, we, got, we can't lose these games. And so it was just a really stressful point to get to that last game against the Rangers. And, you know, just to set it up, the Rangers were either going to make the playoffs or the Philadelphia Flyers were going to make the playoffs. And whoever won that game was going and whoever lost the game was going home. And so it went to um, it went to overtime, and nobody scored. And then it went to the shootout, and we ended up winning in a shootout, and actually jumped. Um, we actually jumped into seventh place. Yeah. Montreal popped down to eighth, which is relevant because we ended up playing them in the conference finals and got home ice. So it started on the road, started on the road, then in the conference finals. After that year, the way it was, we ended up getting home ice. But um, it was it was crazy. That that one game probably had more stress and more pressure than probably any game seven that I've ever been in because it was the whole season riding on that one game, that one overtime, that one shootout just to get in and have the chance to compete for the playoffs. So, And you've taken over teams in midseason before. You've, you've obviously with, with like the Islanders and with Nashville um, started, you know, had a training camp to start and to put your, your system out and, you know, introduce yourself. And what was it like last year? where you, you take over and everything is just drastically different on, well, not on the ice, but off the ice and just in the way you go about your day-to-day and everything. And you're still trying to, I mean, you still had success. So two-part question, how was last year compared to the other experiences you had um, before it? But you also managed to continue this trend that you've had throughout your career where that first year there, you you make a big splash. You you lead a team to a pretty significant improvement over their prior performance. Yeah, so last year was, and you're right, I've taken over um, teams halfway through the year. I've been fired halfway through the year. I've, I've taken teams over in the summer. Um, I've gone to world championships and Olympics and Deutschland Cups and had to figure out how to coach inside of that mm-hmm. time frame of two days or 10 days to put something together to, to get on and start playing games. So um, there's been a lot of experiences. Last year was a was a really different experience. And, you know, there's never an advantage or disadvantage. And me complaining about it doesn't do anything because we all were dealt with the same hand. All teams dealt with, you know, all the, the, the restrictions that we had to go through because of COVID. And so um, that doesn't make it a lot more different than the years past. And some of the things that went on, you know, the fact that we were, we were broken up into groups and, and sending meetings to four different parts of the locker room by, you know, TV or, or the power play meeting, the penalty kill meeting. We don't even meet as a group anymore. Everything goes out viral and we're counting on the players to, um, to watch these things, to having no fans in the building, to, not really getting to meet anybody in the organization, especially for me coming in as a as a new coach, is always that time where you get to meet people, and the only people that I ever got to meet were the ones that were inside of our yeah. our world that traveled on the plane that had access to the locker room. And so, even now, I'm still you know tr- training camp is here. Um, we're about rookie camp just started today, and our camp starting shortly. The scouts are. I'm meeting the scouts for the first time. I'm meeting uh, people from the front office. I, there's still a lot of people that I haven't met. Um, 
I went over to um, Alex's uh, Alex Ovechkin's house the other night for a cookout. I met his wife for the first time. This is the first wife. This was just a week ago. This is the first wife that I've met in the organization from the players. And so you don't have any of that unity inside of the room. There's none of that bonding or getting to know people and uh, trying to understand them a little better and what they're maybe going through. And, and just from a team standpoint, it made it really difficult. But like I said, everybody was dealt the same hand. Just as a new coach coming in, I found it to be just a little bit more difficult navigating that. How would you say your style has evolved over the years? And how would you describe yourself as a coach if, if a player would ask, or if I were to ask you, yeah. since I just did? Um. I, I think you're constantly learning. You know, like I'm, I get to work. I, I listen to some of my assistant coaches. I've been with Kevin McCarthy forever. I think he's a terrific coach. And so it seems wherever I go, he's he's willing to come, which I'm thankful for. But even getting to sit in the coach's office and listen to guys like Scott Arneal and Blaine Forsythe about penalty kill or power play or watch Brett uh, Leonhardt do his work and how good he is at what he does. Um, you're learning all the time. I'm learning. I'm watching and I'm listening. And I'm I'm pretty much down a road with how I think the game should be played. And so I, I stick to that because for me, it's it's led to success for teams. And so that's kind of my, that's my home base. And But yet I do think that you can bring things in and you can grow as a coach and develop as a coach on um on the game and as it changes, um, you can make those changes. But for me, the the fundamentals have always been there about what I believe and what I think inside the game. Um, and so I kind of stick to that. But um, our staff is really good. I'm fortunate to work with these guys. The coaches in the past that I've worked with too is amazing. But, um, you know, for me, um, uh, what, what, what am I, I don't even know. Like I'm everybody, you come to the rink, you are who you are. I believe in, I believe in people. I believe in motivating people. I believe in putting them on a page and trying to get them to go in the right direction. And, um, but there's a lot of people that help out with that as too inside the room. So, um, you know, it's, like I said, it's been, it's been good. Um, I've been lucky to be in the sport and be a head coach and, uh, just trying to get better. Um, and you mentioned, the wives, and, and I know that your wife, Kristen, um, and you mentioned her a number of times in our conversation here, um, you told the story, I heard the story before, that when you were let go in Carolina, they, they asked if they could keep her because you guys were yeah. so prominent in community relations and, and reaching out and helping people. How important is that? And that's another thing that, that kind of got stopped last year with with yeah. everything and, and and that's yeah. another thing that that's you know that we've got to build back up and, and and build better yeah my my wife is pretty awesome and so you know, it was tough for her last year um the quote is true from caroline i remember going on and reading somebody and you know the, the actual tweet or message that was sent out the comment from a fan i think was lavi had to go but can we keep Kristen?" And so it was pretty good. I'm like, okay. Yeah, my my wife has a way of um, really doing good things inside of a hockey community and the, the places that we've been um, from just getting to know, um, from helping to build the organization like I was talking about, from away from just the game. Um, it could be the wives. It could be bringing people together and, and maybe breaking down the walls a little bit inside the organization. She's done amazing work with regard to you know, community service and room makeovers and building playgrounds and, and building 
bigger things that that have allowed um, opportunity for others that didn't have it. And so um, last year for her was a tough year as well. Just, um, you know, she had some personal things going on with her family um, that she had to take care of, but not being here and not being able to be a part of that. We couldn't connect with anybody. And so it just made it, it was a different year and hopefully it's in the rearview mirror and things can stay on the course that they're at right now where people can come back and, you know, you get to see the human side of things a little bit more. Peter, I guess too, this, this last summer was, was a little different for you too, being able to spend more time with your, with your family. Just what was that like? And, and to be able to have that, that, that time to, to share with them. Yeah, it's been, my, my family is at a stage where they're not at home right now. And so, um, the last two summers I've, I've really enjoyed with my kids and my wife, um, down in Florida, I've got, um, two boys that are currently fifth year, um, their fifth year in college, one at Plymouth state and one at Florida Gulf coast university. They both play hockey. Um, the fourth year kind of got wiped out. And so they wanted to go back and play a fifth year. So they're both heading back there and continuing their education. Um, my daughter is a sophomore at Boston College, and um, she's she just finished her freshman year. She plays softball there. And so we're we're away from each other, and it makes it really hard. You know, one of the things that I, I don't regret, but I kind of miss, like I feel like I missed out on a little bit, was my kids because the job is demanding. You're not, you're not around as much as you'd like to be to – you know, to head to a hockey game or a softball game or to travel with them and go somewhere. And so you miss out on that. And so you really rely and count on the summers. And even more so, I think, since they've moved away and, and gone to off to college, those summers now become even more valuable and more precious just to spend with your family. And so, you know, I've my, my family has been down in Florida where we live for the last two summers, and it's just been a, a great opportunity to reconnect and I just like the age that they're at now too I feel like you know when they're 13 and 14 and you got a couple boys or some heavy lifting that has to go on with that but when they're 21 and 22 23 years old now you're kind of hanging with your kids you know you're 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 going out on the boat and you can go fishing and have a beer you can go play around to golf and it's it's a lot less parenting and more just when they when they do something, it's like, hey, I'm 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 not I'm not here for that anymore. I can I can guide you, but like this is your life. Take care of it. But they're great kids. But I'm just saying, I like I like the where we're at right now. You know, just parenting them and being there with them. It's they're fun to hang out with. And the last two summers have just been awesome. They're fully grown, fully built, and yeah, yeah. I I share that that sentiment. My my kids are adults now too, and yes. Yeah. Uh, it's a great stage. As yeah, they say. it sure is. It's before it's before their lives really take off and maybe go in a different direction. But like I said, the the heavy parenting where you're constantly having to watch out for them that's over. And it's so just a, a time frame right now. The last two summers where I think you know we've just enjoyed being a family more than than we've had that opportunity because of being in different places. So it's been really good. The other side of last year being a little bit of a different year was you. You had a little bit of an animal house situation there too. Yeah. Uh, with yeah. a bit about college, what what was that like? Well, the the coach I live I live awfully close to the practice facility, and so the coaches came in. So I think um, one of the coaches is building a, a bought a house and was his family stayed home, and so he had bought a house and he was going to renovate it at some point, but um, he didn't have a place to go. And Kevin McCarthy was here. The the, the coach has been with me for a long time. Um, he was coming without his wife as well. 
And so it was just the coaches. And I'm like, I have this big house. Like, you guys are crazy. Just come stay with me. So one moved into the basement. One moved in above the garage. And so it was, um, you know, we, we, we hung out. We, we, we barbecued together. We, you know, it was, it was, I don't want to say it was like a college frat house. Like it wasn't like that, sure. but it was guys hanging out. You know, we watched, we watched football or we watched golf. We talked hockey and, yeah. um, but it was good. It was good for them. And I think it was good for me too, because if, if I didn't have that, then it would have been just a long year of me just being in my house by myself. So, um, like I said, I'm fortunate. I got work with great coaches in there and, um, the fact that I could, you know, open up my house and share it with a couple of them, that was pretty cool. I was going to say, in a, in a year of uh, where there was a lot of isolation and, and it wasn't really healthy for a lot of people, that, that had to be a, a pretty good situation, yeah. not just for you, but for those guys as well. Yeah. But anyway, thanks uh, thanks for spending some time with us today and we wish you all the best. Uh, it's day one of rookie camp here and obviously we had a long, long road and 82 chapters uh, in front of us. And, Hopefully they, they turn out in, in your favor. It was uh, it was fun watching you work with these guys last year, and I look forward to uh, to seeing you on their you know more normal uh, circumstances. Hopefully, uh, knock on wood, going forward this year. Thanks, folks. Thanks for having me on. I tried it anyway.